Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's June 9th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Housebarbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. This was definitely a different week compared to last week. Lots of stuff happening in the space, so I'm excited to jump into it. Yeah, much less goblin noises than last week as well, is, is <laughs> what I would say. No, that's a shame. That's I know. Yeah. I miss I miss those goblin noises. Uh, I think I might have to set like some of my iPhone notifications to to just be goblin noises and terrify both my wife and, and young daughter in, in the process. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, we have a lot to go through today. Um, whole lot on like the legislation front. We've got a... Uh, alleged big drop of Telegram group chats that may be uh, flooding into into Twitter sometime soon. Um, we've got some a lot of legal stuff. The pull together case. We're going to cover that and some uh, some moves that PayPal have been making. So we're going to dive into our first story of the day right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I've something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step -step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Okay, the first story of the day. And I want to caveat this with the fact that this could be all a complete hoax. And I don't think anyone really knows yet whether this is the case or not. Um, but allegedly... Starting on June 15th, an currently anonymous individual is going to be sharing nearly 138 gig of private Telegram group chats and messages that were gained via an exploit. Now, we'll share out the Twitter thread that digs into some of this, but we'll give the high level. The, the discussions here are... Um, reportedly from crypto influencers, major project leads, and just like general like figureheads within the industry dating from between December 2019th to February 2022. And the, the individual that is saying they're going to release this information, they, they shared a few little insights into what these conversations that are, that, that the individuals thought were, were private were discussing. So some of these include racism, homophobia, adultery, sexual assault on members of the public and those within crypto communities. Um, some of these were discussions from people with like eight, nine figures of, uh, of net worth and high amounts of Twitter followers. So like the influencers in the space discussing rug pull projects, projects that were purposefully intended to scam the community and individuals. And then we start getting into the even crazier stuff, but also somewhat believable. Uh, the, the killing and stealing of crypto from an individual with a group of friends that was coordinated through Telegram. Project creators in the top 200 market cap projects 
from yield farming projects to stable coins to AMMs, all designed from the start to siphon funds from the majority of users. Um, there's just like a whole lot, sexual assault, pedophilia, assassination, pretty much the gold standard of bad crimes, I would say, uh, are, are listed here. And uh, all the way through to conversations where tw- uh, asking Twitter employees to personally delete or ban accounts relating to incriminating information. So they're going to release this in like a large file. Who knows, Austin, maybe this is just going to be one giant malware hit that we're all just going to get absolutely burned <laughs> with. And in some ways, an amazing that is the case. <laughs> oh my God, I feel like that will be a better conclusion. Because if some of the allegations that are being put forward um, as to what these conversations discuss, while I-, I will also say, while some of these things actually do not um, surprise me, especially on the influencer side of things. Um, but yeah, it's going to be pretty damning, especially the piece that I thought around like the creators from some of the top 200 market cap projects. I think that there's like a few really major, um, incriminating conversations that talk in particular about kind of dumping on retailers or setting up schemes that ultimately siphon funds from individuals. You know, the backdrop of already somewhat of a liquidity crisis in the market, downward trend, this really could have an in- enormous impact on, on the market if if some of this were, were to be true. Yeah, it really could. Um at the same time, I, I think like it, we'll we'll link to the thread in the description. This account has totally blown up over the last 24 or 48 hours. Over 40,000 Twitter followers <laughs> went from like zero to 40K overnight. Um, so you can read it yourself. And the as Matt sort of went through, the, the claims are pretty bold uh, and ambitious. And there's even more beyond what we've discussed here in that thread. And so immediately to me, it, it kind of felt like it's almost too ambitious to be true. Um, but I, I do agree, like, you know, even if a fraction of what is claimed here were to be contained within that huge 38 138 gigabyte um, drop, then it would be extremely destructive. And this type of thing isn't totally unprecedented. I mean, some people are referring to it as the WikiLeaks of crypto. Uh, I think that that's an interesting comparison. I will also, you know, remind our audience uh, that the governor of Puerto Rico actually resigned after over 800 pages of his hacked Telegram chats were released. So it's not totally... um, unprecedented for something like this to happen, which kind of leads me to, you know, a a really concerning aspect of this that is being much less discussed, which is like, what was Telegram's role in all of this? Um, It sounds like Telegram to a degree, at least the tone of the thread implies that Telegram was aware of the exploit and didn't do anything about it, um, which really draws into question the security of the platform itself and the trust that so many people have put into it. Now you could say like, ultimately because of what was being discussed, it's, it's good that they put their trust into it and that it's being broken and everything like that. Fine. But the reality at the end of the day is that platforms like telegram 
um, they do have a, a social contract of trust with their users. That's really, you know, it's pr- predicated and based on the, this concept of true encrypted privacy. Um, so I think that if this is, if this data does come out and it is true, it's also going to be disastrous for telegram. Yeah. I think especially I, t- I'm, I'm now just, uh, kind of double checking myself. Telegram's a Russian company, right? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that the, the, the Russian company, uh, if, if I, I'm like 90% sure we can check this quickly, but, um, you know, in the backdrop of the current climate with the uh, the the invasion of war in Ukraine, you know this this doesn't bode very well for them. Um, so you know, with with all that kind of said, it's it's not going to be great um, for for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Telegram is a Russian company. Technically, they are based out of the. British Virgin Islands um, and oh, okay. Dubai, but uh, it is it is a, a Russian founded company. Yeah, yeah, I think it is actually blocked in Russia as well, which is kind of odd. Uh, <laughs> odd, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I, I think the TLDR there is, you know, <clears throat> it's uh, it's it's not a great look for them. Uh, I'll say that. But the, I think the thing that to kind of like wrap this up, the thing that struck me the most is. You know, like you say, some of these accusations are enormous. The fact that when I read this, I was like, "Mm, yep, I can believe it, is probably more indicative of the fact that there are some really big things that need to be addressed in the crypto space. And I, I think in particular, so the stuff around like sexual assault, rape, things like that, I, I really don't have much insight obviously into that kind of aspect, but the piece around like market manipulation, those kind of things, there's, there's been a lot around like insider trading, stuff like that, that goes on. And from working in the space, you know, you, you see this kind of thing, how easy it can happen. Um, there is, there is a lot of work to be done in the space on this front to, if we ever want to actually avoid and put the right incentives in place for people to be good actors. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mess right now. I will will definitely say that. So we'll see how that uh, that plays out. Apparently, the first batch of the the chats are going to be released on June fifteenth. Get your popcorn ready or your antivirus software, whichever you prefer, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. And with that, let's jump into our second story of the day. Well, there's a lot happening on the legislative front. In the U.S., a couple senators, Cynthia Loomis and Kirsten Gillibrand, have released a bill that they're calling the Responsible Financial Innovation Act. It's pretty wide-reaching. You may refer to it as a sweeping plan. Um, And really what it is is aimed at creating what they're calling a comprehensive set of regulations across all digital assets in the U.S. This is certainly partially a response to the Terra collapse, but it's much broader and far reaching than that alone. So there are a few key components of this that we can dive into. What I will say is that there is media coverage related to this, and then there is what appears to be 
a leaked embargoed version of like the draft of the bill that's going around that the media is not picking up on, but is being discussed on Twitter. And you'll get kind of different stories depending on which source you're reading from. But the media is talking about how one, this dramatically expands the powers of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission or the CFTC. And if you look at the embargoed version of the bill, it does clear up security laws and it puts a lot of assets as commodities under the CFTC. Um, and then the media is also talking about how it makes trans transactions of less than $200 tax-free. I will say overwhelmingly the coverage that I was reading in the media was positive and they were really focusing on these two components of it. But from the embargoed version of the bill that's going around Twitter, which of course cannot really be verified, but does seem to be at least in line with what the media was already reporting. And then of course has a ton of additional detail from there. Um, there's a lot of concerning aspects to the bill, maybe outright bizarre aspects to it. And then also some positive aspects that we can dive into. Uh, one of the biggest pieces is DAO regulation. So it requires that DAOs be registered as entities in the U.S., so they don't count as disregarded entities. And if they're not registered in the U.S., the U.S. would view it as personally taxable. A Th nuance this is a big to this. One. This is a big, yeah. this is a really, really big one. Right? I think this is, uh, it's worth knowing, right, with, with bills like this, there's a lot that can change, obviously, uh, from like the moment this is even put forward to like lobbying groups are going to get involved and there'll be more discussion. Things will get stripped out and discussion will be around it. But the piece around like the, the DAOs, requiring DAOs to be registered as U.S. entities, and if not, the U.S. views all of it as personally taxable, it, this is enormous. This, the, if, if, if that were to get into a final bill that like passed, it would be, uh, I mean, it would be for the like 99% of crypto, DeFi in particular, would basically make it not really possible uh, for these, these corporations to exist in their current form. Yeah. And looking at the embargoed version of the bill, uh, it is very opaque. Uh, and unclear with regard to DAOs and DeFi, perhaps intentionally. But what it does make clear is that they would need to be registered entities in the U.S. There is some additional nuance here around maybe it's not explicitly a ban of DAOs, but it is a significant enough increase in regulation, especially tax-related regulation, to draw into question how well they, they could operate. Um, under these new laws. Um, but it also brings in new disclosure requirements that would make anonymously run projects almost impossible to comply under the law. So that's a huge chunk of it. Um, another chunk is th that it's looking to dramatically broaden oversight of exchanges. So it would require all exchanges and stablecoin providers to be registered entities. It's unclear, again, with regards to DeFi specifically. Um, but it uh, with centralized exchanges, it, it's effectively saying that anything that trades one digital asset would meet the burden of being a digital asset exchange. Uh, so this would, of course, result in a huge increase in compliance costs, and then thus exchange fees would go up. But it'd probably also lead to better listing and a uh, 
a, a reduction or elimination of trading uh, exchanges trading against their own users. Yeah, um, I think that's a as, that's a big one. Like I I actually think this is it seems to me to be without knowing all of the nuance of like all of the ramifications here. This one feels positive to me. I think like that there, there does need to be more oversight in in general on the centralized exchanges. Um and yeah, there's going to be more compliance stuff, but it is just far too easy for centralized exchanges to dump on retail, basically. Um, it's it's too easy right now. It's not to say that all of them are doing this, but it's uh, it, it's somewhat of a wild west, um, especially for the market makers that are involved in this. So, so yeah, I, it feels like this, at least in my mind, is something that makes sense to me. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I think the the question would be around the fees. The, like, there's these yeah. fee offsetting rules that are in there that would effectively mean that exchanges are going to have to pay the the government like form fees, which would of course be passed on to the consumer. But I think that in general, additional oversight on exchanges is something that would be welcomed, of course, if like executed in a proper and efficient way, which yeah. maybe is a, an unrealistic expectation. Um, <laughs> another another component of this is going to be consumer protection, which I think is also welcomed. Uh, so one piece is that bankruptcy, uh, the definition of bankruptcy would change and thus be a win for users. It makes it clear that uh, assets deposited would get returned to users and not liquidated. There's a bunch of stable coin um, changes in regulation here that are part of this. And it also gives pretty clear compliance requirements and penalties. Uh, so th they would all be higher than uh, in terms of the, the requirements and the penalties than probably the crypto community would ask for. But it is fairly clear. And um, it's not just, you know, opaque sort of rules via selective enforcement. So it yeah. does seek to expand consumer protection. Of course, taxes are a significant component of this. If there's any debt, equity, profit revenue, dividend of any variety, then now it's expressly not a digital asset commodity. So that mm. is, uh, that's a scary one, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there are a few odd components to this as well. It wouldn't be <laughs> a proper bill if there weren't. Um, there's this weird requirement of users basically having to agree to a terms of service based on a source code version. And then any time that the source code is updated, it would require that a new agreement be uh, agreed upon. And the language isn't really clear enough to, to rule out variables because it's it's based on quote, changes that could impact economics as well. So yeah. this is really not great. It's it's kind of bizarre. I, um, I think this is their attempt to like, you know, in particular with like DeFi um, versus like centralized exchanges where ultimately the, the ways in which a, a user can interact and the way things are structured are dictated by the protocols themselves. Now things can change and that that's often done through like governance voting and stuff like that. For example, like a decentralized exchange could decide to increase the percentage of the fees that it takes on each transaction through like a governance vote. And that would immediately be implemented into the source code. Right. And it's like, that's done. If you weren't checking governance, like you may not know it, there would still be clear and obvious disclaimers on the centralized exchange, but these things may change. 
So I guess maybe they're thinking about this. The way I look into this is, okay, they're trying to think about this from like the whole decentralized protocol version, but wow. Like, I mean, it's, it's a struggle enough getting someone to even look at what Apple are asking you to agree to once a year, let alone every like couple of days. So I'm not quite sure how this all plays out. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, there are a few other sort of miscellaneous components to it that I think are worth calling out. It gives depository institutions the right to issue stable coins. So I think that's good. Yeah, it would seek to unify some money transmission laws across states in the U.S., which would be a good thing. Uh, and then on the negative side, it also expands information sharing between agencies, both at the state and federal level. Um, so you can imagine the impact of that. Uh, but in summary, I, this really what it, it effectively does is it definitely makes it clear that crypto is allowed in the US, which I think is something that the community has been wanting for quite some time. On the flip side, it also aims to regulate crypto about as strictly or maybe even more strictly than banks and current financial services providers. Um, and as part of this, it doesn't really seem to leave a lot of room for DeFi and maybe no room for anonymous or non-registered DAOs. So certainly something to keep an eye on. Of course, there's a lot of legislation going through Washington, being proposed in Washington right now that this complements and maybe even borrows from. One such example would be uh, the recent push for stablecoin rules by Senator Pat Toomey. Um, you can definitely see components of that in this. But more than likely, this is not this isn't really like a doomsday scenario like Matt was sort of alluding to earlier. There's gonna be a lot of change that would happen to this before it would really gain any significant traction. In fact, most likely it's just the start of a dialogue and it wouldn't even lead anywhere significant until at least next year. And then next year, if it does lead anywhere, at that point, it would probably need to be split into several pieces of legislation independent from each other throughout 2023. This this feels like just at least 10 different pieces of legislation, right? Like, it, like you could take the whole section on DAOs as just a separate bill that would be addressed. And like, you know, there's, there's a lot in here to take in, but I think as a, a general starting point, there's a lot to, to discuss. And it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays out um, uh, over, over the long term. Yeah, of course, you know, lobbyists are also going to get involved. It's going to come under extreme scrutiny. And it's even part of the bill itself. The bill actually extends powers to a lot of regulators to investigate and advise on, in this case, additional regulations in new areas. But of course, <laughs> really, it's just bringing scrutiny to it. So what that means is that if this passes, it, this actually wouldn't even be the, the full scope until at least 90 days after the act itself. But um, that also means that additional scrutiny would be brought throughout the, the rest of the bill. So I think that there's a lot to come with this. It will continue to evolve. And it is some, some parts of it are kind of long awaited and anticipated legislation. So we may see parts of it move a little bit faster than others. Uh, certainly, regardless of the details, legislative change to crypto is coming for the US and other parts around the world. So we will continue to follow that and talk about it. But coming up next, a story about <laughs> Pool Together and Pooly NFTs. All right, following on from 
more stories that we've had on legislation, we have another. And this is the current case that is being brought forward um, in New York that is targeting Pool Together and uh, the the co-founder and the, the Pooly NFTs. So Pool Together, if you don't know, has kind of been somewhat of like a, it was a breakthrough project in the early like DeFi summer of 2020. It's a very innovative uh, DeFi project, which is effectively, I'll try and explain this in like 30 seconds. It's a, a decentralized no loss lottery. Well, I say that this is one of the reasons why they're kind of getting in trouble. So they've kind of been rebranding some of this, but in short, as an individual, you that what what pull together want you to do is use it like your kind of crypto savings account what actually happens on the back end is you deposit in uh things like your stable coins eth uh, matic whatever uh into a, a pool that is then used to gain yield from elsewhere and during like the the, the yield that is earned from your deposits is then distributed back to all of those in the pool um, through a lottery system. Well, not to all of those in a pool, just like one or two members, kind of like a lottery system. So you can almost think about this as you making a deposit, like buying your lottery ticket, and you gain uh, the the chance to win the whole of the, the yield that the whole pool has, um, has accrued over, say, like, a day, a week, a month. Um, and if you lose, you lose nothing because uh, the, you weren't actually giving up your initial deposit as like the, the prize. It was just the yield that was generated from that. So it's really interesting, but you know, there's been a lot of scrutiny happening in uh, in New York right now. In particular, I, I, I can't remember whether we discussed this last week, but um, one thing that's been happening of late is a recent bill that's been going through to, uh, to make proof of work, Bitcoin mining illegal in New York. It's looking like that is probably going to pass. Um, yeah, and... I believe it did pass, actually. Oh, it did pass, um, did it? Or yep. at least it, it passed the uh, the House in, in New York and is is waiting to be signed uh, by the governor, I believe. So Yeah, it looks like it's a, it's a matter of time before that goes into action, right? And it seems like this is going to be, that was the first of a slew of legislation and um, both like examples being made uh legal cases and further legislation that's going to be happening in New York in particular but this one targets pull together so here's here's what's happening the lawsuit itself it challenges the the legality of pull together's operations so by describing pull together's protocol as a quote unquote lottery scheme which is illegal under New York law it's argued that uh, pull together doesn't qualify as any of the institutions permitted under U.S. law to run a prize-linked savings account, which of course puts them into kind of really challenging spots. Uh, now, this was this was filed in late October of last year, and we're just kind of really hearing the details of this now. What I thought was interesting on this, so the suit names Pull Together uh, Incorporated, which is the holding company behind Pull Together as well as one of the protocol's founders, which is uh, Leiden Kusak, 
uh, as the defendants, as well as some of the individual investors. And this includes uh, Stanislav Kulichov, which is the founder and CEO of Aave, who's also part of the lawsuit. So this has been, this is reaching a lot of people. Um, so there's been a few different statements from the Pull Together team. I pulled a quote from uh, Brian Klein, who's one of the lawyers for Pull Together, who said, uh, I quote, this apparently ideologically driven lawsuit is a waste of the courts and everyone else's time. Um, and another uh, another lawyer from Pull Together, Kevin, Kevin Browell, uh, commented that the company, quote, doesn't own or control the protocol and that its functions are governed by its original coding, which can only be modified by the majority of vote, uh, vote holders of their governance token pool. Now, this is, uh, it seems like Pull Together team are trying to kind of dismiss this as a ridiculous uh, lawsuit and is, again, as they said, ideologically driven. We'll see how this plays out. What I think is really interesting about this is how much the, the kind of the wider DeFi community has rallied behind Pull Together. So what they did was they they launched um, a, a small NFT collection that was used to fund their their defense. And they had like a real stretch target here of like $1.4 million um, of, of funding. And they they hit it and they have passed it. So they they were selling three different tiers of NFTs, which is part of their uh, their their funding campaign that they dubbed uh, Pooley NFT to kind of fight the class action lawsuit. The NFTs were priced at 0.1 ETH, 1 ETH, and 75 ETH, uh, respectively. And, uh, you know, they they each have different supply. I think I saw when I was looking at this that one person had purchased the 75 ETH and there'd been a, a whole host of people that had bought the ones that are priced at either 1 ETH or 0.1. There's like a leaderboard you can check out. I think you go to mint.pooltogether.com and you'll see it. Um, but... Right now, you know, they've surpassed their funding target, which was 769 ETH. Um, when I was looking at this yesterday, it was 843. Let me just bring up the webpage. Let's, let's have a little look where they're at right now. Um, wow, 864 ETH. So that's just over $1.5 million that they've raised in funding, and this is still going um, for their, their legal defense. This is going to be something that's probably going to be drawn out for quite a while. It's going to get a lot of very different media coverage, depending on the the outlets that cover this. But what I I think is very interesting is how the communities rallied around this, and yeah, we'll we'll see how this all plays out. But it's going to be a really big story, um, and could be a very big precedent set if uh, if 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 New York are successful here. All right, let's jump into our final story of the day. We would be remiss not to mention that PayPal is now allowing the transfer of crypto to external wallets. So what this means is that crypto holders that are using PayPal's wallet can now transfer their holdings on PayPal's crypto platform, which could be Bitcoin, ETH, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, to external wallets like MetaMask, Coinbase, maybe a hardware wallet. This is something that has been requested for quite some time. Um, of, of course, we remember that back in 2020, 
uh, PayPal launched its crypto platform. Um, since then, it's actually become the world's largest wallet. Uh, the largest blockchain-enabled consumer digital wallet is uh, PayPal. So wow. this is a big I, deal I in that, that respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was surprised by that too, and I was like trying to figure out, you know, what the source of that is, and um, it's a little dubious, honestly. It, it, it's like people from PayPal that are saying it are the sources that I was able to find. And they're um, also saying like, they're the world's largest blockchain enabled consumer digital wallet. Like what that, that like consumer digital wallet piece is the thing that's kind of getting me because you would assume that MetaMask will have way more right. people holding. I mean, I would assume that MetaMask would hold, have way more people that are holding crypto. And are they classing that as not a consumer digital wallet? Like I'm, I'm not yeah. sure. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to know because they haven't released any numbers on it. But of course, they do have hundreds of millions of users um, on the, the core PayPal app. So it's possible. Um, regardless, it's a huge player uh, that is now allowing transfers to happen uh, between their wallet and external wallets. So this was rolled out on Tuesday to a select group of U.S. users. It's going to be rolling out to all U.S. consumers over the next few weeks. And I think it's interesting because also in the news, PayPal acquired the crypto custody firm Curve last year. Uh, they've also been looking into a creating a USD-backed stablecoin called PayPal coin, mostly experimenting with that wow, right I now. Did, I didn't hear um, about that either. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So like PayPal has been slow to innovate and adopt in the crypto space, but low key appears to be making some pretty big investments here, which of course, even a small investment from a player as large as PayPal is significant. Um, at the same time, just this week, it came out that the New York Department of Financial Services has granted PayPal what they're calling a bit license, which according to them, governs businesses working with virtual currencies. This is this is huge. This is huge for them because I, I there's very few that have been able to to get that bit license. I I, I remember Coinbase were one of them. I want to say Gemini got that as well, but it's not not that many. It's, it's very difficult to get. So, does put them in a place where they have a pretty significant competitive competitive advantage in the uh the US market. Yeah, and they actually just became the first company to convert from a conditional bit license into a full one. So certainly big things happening there. Uh, and of course, this is set to the backdrop of Robinhood launching a wallet of their own. So I think it's um, yeah interesting to see what PayPal is doing here and the level of impact that that's going to have on the space. All right, why don't we jump into uh, some of our last bits in the wrap up. A lot of people have been talking about a recession and layoffs, and Coinbase has not been immune to that. Unfortunately, uh, as you all have probably heard, they've been rescinding job offers. And I find this one, this one's, this is a tough one to swallow for me. Yeah. Um, Matt, I'm sure you've seen some of the stories going around about this and how people have just been individually impacted. I yeah, you know, I remember, um, I remember when we were covering the last uh, kind of bear crypto winter, kind of when it really started kicking off in 2018 and we recorded that episode. I yeah. think it was like March. I think it, it roughly consensus. coincided. Yes. And I believe it coincided with right around the time that you and I decided to get back to doing 
news updates on this podcast, which yeah. is, of course, this bear market has also coincided with that. Maybe we need to stop talking to each other. Are we, are we a top signal for the market? Is that what's happening? Uh, so, yeah, I remember the the story around like consensus, and they were like, I like I, I could be wrong on the percentage, here, but they they laid off like something like 40 percent of their staff. It was it was significant. I remember at the time, and uh, you know it doesn't surprise me to see companies like Coinbase, especially Coinbase, that have been really from within like the equity markets have hurt a lot. I mean their 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 stock prices went from kind of in the the. $200 mark down to, I think it hit like 50 bucks, right? And so pretty significant drops. Um, and, you know, the the market is uh, not looking great moving forward. So it doesn't surprise me on the whole, like, okay, we're going to freeze additional hiring for a little while. What I, I what I just, I just cannot abide by this. It, it really, I really dislike this whole thing of like rescinding job offers. I have personally, known people in my own network where this has impacted them, where they have literally accepted a job offer from Coinbase. They have left their existing job. They're gearing up. And then Coinbase has actually rescinded that offer. And now they are completely stuck. They've left their role and they have no place to go. I I just can't understand it. You know, how many open job offers can you have at that moment in time where for, for you not to just be like, okay, let's just take these job offers. We'll, we'll hold true to them because we have accepted a formal contract with that, that individual and just put a freeze on anything else. Even people at the final stages of uh, other interviews. Yep. Cancel that. That's fine. It's uh, it's just not great. You, you shared with me something, uh, another story of, uh, on this side that was kind of shocking as well, uh, Austin, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there, of course, there are threads going all around Twitter and, and LinkedIn of from individuals that have been personally impacted by this. And I think that, um, you know, one of the maybe more upsetting components of this is that Coinbase actually sent a welcome email to new hires two weeks ago, promising that they wouldn't rescind offers. And then just a couple days ago, they sent the the rescind emails um, to candidates that had received the first email. And there was this one individual who I believe was here in the U.S. Um, on a visa. He's from India and um, was, was studying computer science, uh, got a degree and was considering, do I, you know, continue on to get a Ph.D.? Um, or do I go into uh, the workforce? And had received several job offers, one of which was from Coinbase, had gotten accepted into a really prestigious PhD program, and then decided, okay, I'm going to go with the Coinbase offer, turned down the PhD program, turned down the other job offers. Um, and then like, um, over, I think over a month had gone by uh, before his start date w- was uh, going to hit. And then, you know, receive these two emails um, in succession of each other. And thus, this leaves him actually in a position now where um, he's under threat of falling out of status on his yeah. visa in, in the U.S. and needing to go back home. Man, so you've lost your Ph.D. opportunity. You've lost your work opportunity. And perhaps more importantly, as I think was the sentiment of his threat, he's lost where the, the, the place where he wants to live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So it's hard to see the individual impact that that has on people. And of course, I've seen threads from other folks that say like, you know, I, I lost my job offer. I'm, I'm going to be fine. Doesn't change the fact that this is a shitty practice. And that's true. It doesn't have to be something absolutely devastating to where people like lose their status in, in the U.S. and have to go home and it could destroy their career for this to be an unacceptable practice. Um so yeah, it's it's upsetting to see this. I, you know, I think that Coinbase um, was hiring very aggressively. Obviously, it's a fabulous company. Matt Matt and I speak very highly of it. I know people that work at Coinbase. It's a wonderful place to work. Uh, so it's sad to see this happening. And I, you know, separately um, in venture capital Twitter, um, I I saw this thread that a VC put out that said, you know, everybody's saying like that now because we're heading into a recession, they're going to have to. Um, like pull back their their VC offers and pull back capital and everything like this and basically pull funding from startups because, oh my gosh, the recession. Um, and that's basically bullshit is, is what this VC was saying. Like if you, if you were being so aggressive um, and irresponsible with your investments that a an expected downturn in the market and a downturn in uh, on Wall Street, you know, puts you out of your investments within a span of like two weeks to a month, then you were, that's your problem. That's not the market's problem. Uh, and I think that it's kind of, I kind of feel the same way about what's happening here with Coinbase. Like to your point, Matt, that really, like how many offers did you have open? Or are those really the, the, the offers that would make the difference between the company like surviving in, in the long term? I mean, you know, Coinbase is facing major losses. Like they, they reported a Q1 loss of, I think like $430 million um, last week. So it is significant. And I, I think it calls into question um, you know, some of the, uh, the financial and, and hiring practices that, that may be happening there. And as far as I understand, the recruiters weren't even queued in on this. Like yeah. that basically the, the recruiters got top-down uh, directives that first said, we absolutely will not rescind any offers. And then a couple weeks later, got a top-down directive that said, you're going to have to go out there and rescind the offers. I mean, what is that like for them? You know? Oh my gosh, it'd be, it'd be brutal, wouldn't it? Like you've spent all this time. And, and I also think about, you know, you're trying to acquire talent into Coinbase, um, the caliber of talent that you're probably bringing in. You've spent huge amount of like time personally invested and really like selling to these candidates, getting to know them, getting them excited, staying in touch. Like I know what this is like myself from like hiring a lot, right? And you will as well, right? Even when you've made that offer, you're, you're connected with them, keeping them excited about the start date, things like that. And then boom, the rug, the rug is pulled from underneath you. And you also are going to be the messenger that shot, right? It's, oh, it, yeah, I would not. Oh, yeah. I, not I like mean, that. Coinbase has amassed some of the greatest talent on earth, and that's not hyperbole. Um, they've really, really built an incredible team, uh, and that includes in design. And of course, I'm doing a lot of design hiring. I'm constantly competing with them on offers. Um, and the, 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 the folks that we've lost to them, it's like, it hurts, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so, to, to see this happening is also kind of sad to me just from the perspective of like, 
you know, the, the tarnishing of um, their brand. But also I think about like what this is going to cause internally as well, because we're talking about like all of the pain that happens externally. But as I was kind of you know, alluding to with the recruiters, like that's a really difficult position to put recruiters in. It's also a difficult position to put a hiring manager in. Like, you know, for me, the hiring that I've been doing, obviously the market is extremely competitive right now. Sometimes it may take me like three, four months of nonstop interviewing to get to the offer stage with somebody where, where somebody accepts an offer. And then I've still run into scenarios where the candidate will like, <laughs> you know, uh, pull out the offer fr- from under me and and go with uh, with another competing offer even after they've accepted it, which is also a terrible thing to do, right? So you're dealing with this like extremely competitive and difficult market as a hiring manager as well. Um, you know how how much time and resources and energy have been wasted and and lost in uh, you know turning down these already accepted offers. It's just, it's really difficult. So I, I know that the, this is a decision that Coinbase leadership uh, is probably well aware of the the trade-offs and the, the consequences. And they must have thought it through, I, at least I hope, and, and said the, um, the consequences of doing this don't outweigh the consequences of like moving forward with the offers, which to me says they they must be dealing with like a really difficult uh, balance sheet. Basically, that's the only way that that, that I could rationalize yeah, they'd, they'd, this. They'd know they'd know the PR disaster that was that was going to come from from a lot of this. And I don't think Coinbase are shy of making like pretty significant moves. What that externally um, gain a lot of like negative optics. I think about uh, some of the or at least polarizing like views. Things like Brian Armstrong basically outlawing the discussions of politics in in office and that was like you know very controversial things like that but this yeah it's uh it's it 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 was definitely surprising and you know it's not just coinbase as well that have that have been doing this but it it is definitely been some of the more high profile things and i'm hoping at least that those that were impacted by it uh kind of land on their feet and i'm sure many of them will because they're super talented but yeah i think it's just a Kind of crappy situation overall. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, we can drop the link to a, a Twitter thread from Blind. Um, that is, yep. that's the sort of anonymous work app that is covering this right now. And they are amassing a database of Coinbase employees that have had their offers rescinded. I know that there are probably a, a good amount of people listening right now that are looking to hire talented. Uh, engineers and designers and so on and so forth that are in the Web3 space. So there you go. Yeah, I think that'll be great. All right, Austin, I think that's all we've got time for, but a uh, huge week of news. I know that we've uh, we've covered quite a lot in here. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to following up on some of these stories. Um, it's worth noting just to everyone, we're not going to be around next week. We're having a one-week break and we will be back the following week. Don't worry, you're going to have our wonderful voices back in your ear in just two weeks time but uh austin it's been a pleasure and i'll see you in a couple of weeks see you then matt
The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.